Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Legal Brief. I'm Misty Maris, and I'm joined by my executive producer, Lauren Mincer-Clark. Hello, Lauren. It is Friday. Yes, it is. I'm very sad that we are not doing this one together in person. It was a little bit of a treat for us, um, but we are back separate. But it, nonetheless, time for our Friday roundup. Yeah, I mean, it was a real treat for me because I was in California. (laughs) Not only was I with you, I was also in sunny California. And here today on this Friday, I am in New York City. It is raining. (laughs) It is cold. It is gray. Uh, and it is not what I was experiencing when we were oh. in Los Angeles. It's a bit yeah, it's, different. It's 80 and sunny today. I don't want to mm. rub it in, but I'm going to rub it in a little. Interesting. <laughs> all right. East Coast, all right. Coast, it's all good. Anyway, yes. it's Friday. It's our roundup. This was a big week for trials and true crime. Lauren, tell me what we got. I mean, well, here's the thing. So we know that the Johnny Depp Amber Heard was obviously, you know, all of the buzz this week. But what you and I have decided to do, we are going to do a separate episode just on that because there is so much to break down. That court, uh, that trial is on hold for another week. Um, they have a week-long break that's going on for that. So what we're going to do is next week, we are going to catch everybody up on everything um, that went down. So it's going to be its own separate because there's so much other stuff that we also wanted to get to today. Um, and starting with this week-long manhunt that's been going on for an Alabama inmate who escaped seemingly with the help of an officer. Um, the officer's name was Vicki White, the inmate, no relation, named Casey White. Um, and so, Misty, this story is, I mean, it, it's like Dan Amora, if everyone can remember that. It seems like that kind of all over again. Yeah, it's so much like Danamora. I had vibes of Danamora the minute that I read right? this story. Uh, and, and just to remind everybody, escape from Danamora, two inmates escaped. This was an upstate New York prison with the help mm-hmm. of, an, of a prison guard, a female prison guard. And one of those guys had, had been in a, you know, a relationship, whether or not right. <laughs> it seems like it wasn't quite a real relationship. It was more to gain that advantage so that there was trust so they could stage this huge prison escape. Incredibly dangerous, by the way, because these were these were dangerous criminals who were then out in the public. But I mean, that was that the Danamora prison escape had vibes. of yes. Shawshank Redemption. It was it was uh, that complicated and convoluted. So absolutely. And this one is not far behind, at least in what we've seen so far, um, you know, because all of counts, uh, Vicki White, who is, you know, what the officer that's involved in this um, was said to be a very trusted officer. Um, and so she was actually taking Casey White out, and this is a week ago, uh, Casey White out for an alleged mental health evaluation at the county courthouse. However, they never showed up because there was apparently no evaluation or hearing scheduled that day. Um, authorities have said that they do not believe that she was kidnapped or forced into assisting. It appears at this time that she willingly has helped him escape. Why this is also terrifying is Casey White is serving 75 years for multiple crimes in 2015 i believe it was uh there's home invasion carjacking there's a police chase 
also is facing two counts of capital murder from a stabbing death also that year. So this is, you know, it, it's kind of high stakes on this one right now. It's been a week. Um, there has apparently been reported sightings. Uh, there's a lot of promising leads we're being told in reports in Kentucky, but they're actually getting apparently from all across the nation right now. And a week, you know, a week out, God only knows where they could have gone at this point. So, but we know it's only a matter of time. Um, and so Misty, kind of just, what were your thoughts on this story and what where we're at? Yeah, this is crazy. And, and again, the impact of this is that the communities where this escape is taking place are on high alert. They yeah. are terrified. Casey White is serving a sentence, 75 years for felony and violent crime. So this is something that everybody is on pins and needles, on edge. As you said, Lauren, the the way the world works today, there are video cameras everywhere. And it's Mm -hmm. really easy to disseminate information so that people know what to look for, who they're looking for. Uh, Video cameras apparently had caught a car found in a parking lot of a store Mm -hmm. shopping center. They had been seen on video driving some places on their way to that shopping center. So they're definitely being tracked. And it's more difficult to as you said, stay on the run. I mean, the odds are that at right. some point, the public, the public is so hyper involved in this case. Yes. The odds of these two not being caught at some point are, you know, it's, it's, it's very slim. However, here's the part that is incredibly disturbing. You have somebody who's on the run, who's facing 75 years in prison. We know that this was planned on the inside. That's what all the reports indicate at this point. This was planned. This person, what will they do? What will they do to not end up back in jail? Right. Right. This is do or die. Because if he goes back to prison, he's facing what is essentially a life sentence regardless. And now after an escape, it's done. There's no chance of parole ever. If if there ever was a chance of parole. Right. what are they going to do? And and that, I think, is the terrifying part of this, is that do you think he's going to go down easy, hands in the air when police confront him? Probably not. Right. And look, this is the type of thing where in Danamora, this happened as well. Multiple other crimes were committed in furtherance mm-hmm. of getting away. And, and that's what you can expect, which is why it's so important that this is in the public sphere. So if there's any leads, they're, they're coming to law enforcement. But let's talk about what could happen to Vicki White if she is ultimately caught and prosecuted. Look, this type right. of crime, somebody in her position of position of trust mm-hmm. uh, could, is, is going to face a significant penalty for assisting in the escape. That's just one piece of it. So she could also have accomplice liability for any crimes that are committed by Casey White while he is on the run. Because think about it. She set off the chain of events. Right. So God okay. willing, there's nothing, nothing happens to anybody. You know, there's no violent crimes that are going to be associated with this escape. Uh, we, that's, that's the hope. But mm-hmm. to the extent that other crimes are committed, she's going to be equally as liable from a criminal perspective. Now, let's take another look at this prison. Because while they wouldn't face criminal liability, and I'm talking right. about okay. the organization, the prison, I, I, you know, I'm not, it was at a state prison, is it a private prison? I'm not sure. Uh, I would have to look into that. But in any case, 
there's a lot of qualified immunity. There's a lot of issues uh, ensuing a prison. Well, this is if they show gross negligence, you get out of that. So what are the policies and the procedures right. of prison that allowed for an, an, uh, a, you know, a corrections officer yep. to take a prisoner who who's a violent criminal, by the way, a convicted violent criminal out for a mental health evaluation that didn't exist. That didn't exist. Where right. are the checks and balances? That's such a great point. And let me, and I also want to throw out is, um, from the reports is that it, she actually, it sounds as though she had just quit her job. And also right before all this happened, I believe it was the 29th, um, is when they went on the run, but right before she also sold her house for wildly under market value. I think the report said something like $95,000 when the house is supposed to be at right now looking at like $250,000. So uh, they're putting that out and they also make mention that while it doesn't say not a physical relationship, there was some kind of special relationship since he was put in that prison a couple of years ago. So there's a lot of factors that, you know, are coming in beforehand on that planning aspect. Uh, yeah, I would say that the there's a there's a solid amount of evidence that this wasn't something that was done on a whim. Like you said, Lauren, it sounds like some of the facts that have come out or at least that are being reported, mm-hmm. uh, especially the sale of the home so far undervalued, that could be seen as a quick cash grab. Right. Right. You're on the run. You got to have cash, cash, cash. Yep. Uh, and then the fact that she quit her job shortly before that is all. Uh, factors that are going to go into that evaluation. Number one, that it's twofold. So her role in the escape is obviously going to be a prosecutable offense. That is going to be something that to the extent she, she is captured. And I mean, now the reports say she dyed her hair blonde, which means she's trying to hide, you know, she's trying to mask her identity. Yep. All of that's going to be part of that case. And again, wow. will also be part of any accomplice liability that could come from whatever is happening out there while they're on the on the run uh and and it also speaks to the other piece which is what is being done to go back and do a diagnostic and it's unfortunate that this stuff is happening in retrospect it's reactive not proactive right right? Uh, right. what is being done to say uh there's this thing happening right under our nose whereby right. a prison escape is being planned. Now, what was going on in her personal life, her employer wouldn't necessarily have any knowledge of how, you know, selling her house undervalued people right. can do whatever they want, right? But of course, looking back, I'm sure we're going to find more and more evidence of, as you said, this special relationship. Were there warning signs? Were there red flags? Keep in mind, okay, so it's two things. And, and, by the way, corrections officers are trained on this and they're trained specifically with respect to manipulation techniques that people in prison could use. Right. That because, is so interesting. Of course. Yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't even think about that. Yes. Correct. Because it's such an insular world. It, it's a microcosm of society happening within the prison walls. Right. So mm-hmm. you have people who do develop relationships, whether it be friendships, whatever it is, there are relationships that are developed. Mm -hmm. And the reason for the training is to understand, number one, the corrections officers have to ensure that they are in uh, a position where they can still run and ensure the safety of all of the prisoners that to the extent that there are personal relationships developed, that's, that's not impacting the overall safety of, of the prison or of the jail. Right. So that's right. number one. 
And number two, to avoid this very issue, there are strict rules about any relationships, whether they be romantic, whether they be they, whether they go beyond just day to day type pleasantries, the type of special relationships that we're talking about here are are for obvious reasons strictly prohibited and punishable from the employment standpoint. So the question is, I'm sure all of all of these folks were probably trained, but what's missing? What's missing from that? And and again, one of the aspects of that is this manipulation. You have people, especially when you have uh, inmates who are serving life sentences, right. life sentences, and, and, and really those without parole, there's a level of there's a level of uh, lack of, of caring. Let's put it that way. You know, there's a level of, of course, well, right. Do whatever you do, whatever you have to do, because you know, you're not getting out. Right. So right. that's, that's the part of it. Um, and there's not every, not every inmate, many inmates follow the rules, but there's going to be inmates who are serving those types of sentences who are going to want to get some benefits while they're there because they're there forever. forever right. That they're makes sense. Yeah. Life. So it doesn't even have to go to the extent of an escape, which is the, you know, the the polar end of the spectrum. It could be some sort of special treatment. It could be uh, availability of items that they wouldn't normally have access to, more time in the yard, more time with TV, more computer access, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that's supposed to be condoned, obviously, because those relationships can get manipulative and those manipulative relationships can go a little further. And maybe that's what we're seeing here. Remember in Danamora, there was a corrections officer who, uh, she really thought that she was engaged in this romantic relationship with one of these guys. And it turns out that was all for the purposes of, of hatching this escape plan. Right. That's what it was. It wasn't real. Yes. For them. Exactly. And that's why, and I want to ask you how that kind of factors in though, because to a level, I know that you're trained to not, you know, to this not to happen, you know, however, you know, we, as we've seen before, it can. So how does that kind of factor in, you know, if and when she's caught, if it is to find out that that is what happened? Well, it's going to uh, be your defense. That's going to be her defense. Right, I mean, right? it doesn't even matter what the situation is. The defense would always be, the, and, and, and actually funny enough, it kind of goes back to another case that we're covering, the Lori Vallow case, which we could talk quickly about in a minute. But the defense is generally going to be that there's somebody else there right. that was a manipulator and that I was, I engaged in illegal activity because I was manipulated by somebody who I believe to be something that they're not, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Right. Now, that can, that can work in some cases. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, we've seen that happen in cult type cases yeah cult leaders uh who who have said that we also uh wanda brazy that was her defense if you recall and she oh yes significantly less time yes because of that uh and so yes that defense is traditionally raised in those types of situations where there's Mm. a relationship that is perhaps one person, there's a dichotomy of power and there could, that could be taken into account when you're talking about the intent aspect of any crime. Here, I think when you're, when we're looking at this 
particular issue, provided, again, we don't necessarily know an innocent, proven guilty, blah, 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 of course. But based on what's come out of these reports, it it looks pretty clear that she was involved in this escape, that she's currently with mm-hmm. him trying to mask her identity. Right. And I would say that argument falls pretty flat in this particular case because... <laughs> She would be the one that was in a position of power above somebody who's an inmate in a prison. She's the one in the position of authority. Right. So that argument's kind of toppled on its head to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And I think that in a courtroom and again, it would be so fact specific and it would all go to a jury. So who knows what would be decided? I don't think you're going to get that sympathy factor uh, when it comes to this type of relationship, because this Mm -hmm. is not uh, the same Right. Uh, maybe a woman who's a victim of domestic uh, domestic violence mm-hmm. or is suffering from battered women's syndrome or, or something like that and engages in behavior that her partner says she should engage in, which she, you know, whatever it might be. So this is just a different factual scenario. So I think it falls flat. But would I anticipate that that would be her defense if she were mm-hmm. to be charged with a crime? Well, yeah. Right. What, what's the other defense? Tell me what it is. Right. She was kidnapped. I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> right. I don't really see too many other defenses. But right. I, I don't want to make light of this. Especially story. with all the, especially with all the pre-planning that allegedly, you know, had Absolutely. happened before. That so, would yeah, all that... speak to mindset. And again, when you're, when you go back and you look at what, what appears to be the pre-planning, the selling of the house, the quitting of the job, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Now that we're in this position where we're watching uh, an inmate on the run, I guarantee you go back and I'm saying that the investigators are going to come into that prison and they're going to go back and they're going to break down what happened and they're going to flag most likely more and more of uh, a track that probably should have been recognized as red flag. So these are all the, this is what I'm, what I'm talking about when I say the training, it's not just relating to the individual and they're trained how to interact with inmates. That's obviously a key component, but the other component is for those overseeing the, all of the prison process, right? Every, every aspect of uh, what happens in a correctional facility or other employees who are also working there side by side and, and, and have the same type of contact with the inmates, it's identifying red flags. Mm. It's identifying, okay, oh, see something, say something almost yeah. is, is, the, is, the, is the type of mentality that, okay. that you have to report something. If there's something that's really not looking like it's on the up and up, best to report it and investigate. Mm-hmm. So what are we going to find out, Lauren? That's my question. When so, we go back yeah. and, and records become available about incidents, were there prior reports? Was there something in the record? I mean, I don't think personally, my, my gut is you don't go from uh, being a trusted and solid corrections officer who's going by the book to... Mm-hmm selling your house for half less than half its value and and dyeing your hair blonde and going on uh, the run with an inmate overnight. My I would anticipate <laughs> that there is a slow burn, right? Yeah. That, right, of course, something. It gets to that point. 
Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Uh, also, you know, authorities have released images and I can going to try uh, to attach it. But, you know, they are thought to have when they ditched the car in that parking lot, they were thought to have jumped into a copper colored or orange colored 2007 Ford Edge SUV. Um, and they're not sure about license plates, but I just want to put that out there on the radar because that is what officers and what everyone's saying to be out and look for. They are supposed to be considered very armed and dangerous um and there's also a reward for any information that is led to the capture of them so there's a lot of information out there you know hopefully i mean that there is some kind of at least safe capture at the end of the day is really kind of what we can hope for and then we'll figure out from there no a hundred percent lauren and that's we're talking about the story and these types Mm -hmm. of stories when you see a prison break it's out of a movie it truly is it doesn't seem like it could be real life especially when uh, correctional facilities do have so many security measures in place. And this, when, when I read what was the, what was that moment here, this mental health evaluation that didn't exist, that right. to me is incredibly disturbing because once you're taking a prisoner off the, off the premises outside of the correctional facility, which there are absolutely valid reasons to do. Of course. By the way. Yeah. Right. 100%. But the fact that there wasn't some checks and balances or some type of procedure in place to ensure what was happening was truly necessary and that there was really an appointment, that's something to me that's incredibly disturbing. So while we're talking about this case and, and we're, we're, you know, our minds are blown because the, the circumstances are so outrageous and really right. do seem like we're talking about our, you know, our section of this podcast where we say what are we watching this is not that this is real life but the desperation of of somebody on the run is real and the fact that they are uh that this the the inmate you know that that casey white Mm -hmm. is a dangerous dangerous felon he's convicted of crimes that are uh that are violent yes and so it's incredibly important for the public to be aware because you don't you, it, you if you see something absolutely report it do not try and confront it do not try and take anything into your own hands because there's no going back for these two really there there just isn't so that's why right. you're seeing these statements Lauren that say armed and dangerous they're considered they're considered to be dangerous and and the public needs to be aware there's a reason for that and the reason is that we you know this is a very 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 bad situation. And hopefully with public tips, with technology, with all of that, usually, look, you can't be on the run for a long time these days. Somebody slips up. Somebody slips up. And and in general, we have a lot of technology. We have a lot of cameras. Difficult to evade that. So public vigilance is key, but also not to make light of the situation in any way. It is incredibly tragic and dangerous. And all we can hope is that Law enforcement steps in and captures these two before anything else happens. Yes, absolutely. Um, so we will keep posted. I mean, honestly, this is going to be ever changing. It's only a matter of time. Honestly, it, it, any day we could have updates. So we'll keep following this story as it goes. Um, one other story that you actually mentioned, uh, that had another monster update this week was Lori Vallow. Um, and so in that case, if everyone will remember, she's charged with murdering her two children, JJ and Tylee, along with her husband, Chad Daybell. Um, and so this case is is kind, I mean, it was it, it's still making 
headlines to this day ever since it kind of happened you know when the kids went missing and she was found in hawaii with chad and not telling where the she thought the kids were that you know that's this case that's kind of popping up well she was actually for a period of time she had been found incompetent to stand trial right musty and then it just this week they are now saying she's able to stand trial and idaho is seeking the death penalty in this case so can you just kind of talk to me about that yeah, absolutely. So Lori Vallow, uh, the prosecutors just announced that this week that they'd be seeking the death pen- penalty in the Lori Vallow case. And the standard is, and this is Idaho, uh, that, that there has to be aggravating factors in order for the death penalty to even be on the table. So in this particular case, prosecutors have said that the slayings were exceptionally depraved and carried out for financial gain. Prosecutors went on to say that Lori Vallow showed utter disregard for human life, has exhibited a propensity to commit murder, which will probably constitute a continuing threat to society. And again, we're talking about her two children. And I think a huge component of that is, if you recall, there was like a whole chase going on here. They were in Hawaii, they're trying to evade jurisdiction. So to get to this point where they're actually in the courtroom, which they were extradited, if you remember correctly, yes. there was a yes. whole ordeal getting to this point. And when we began covering this story, it was still a mystery what yeah. had happened to JJ and Ty yes. But as... The as facts and facts continued to come out and reports came out and evidence came out, it became one of the most grisly and gruesome murder cases that we had ever covered. It began as a missing persons case and Mm -hmm. it evolved over the course of gosh, it was it was it was a while before we actually had information. If I recall, Lauren, it was over the course of maybe a year before Uh we really had from when we began covering it until we had information from when uh, police had gone to Chad Daybell's. It was a compound in his backyard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because what happened, it was around September 2019 when the kids were reported missing. Um, And so, and when the last time that they were seen by other family members and at this exact time. So, but here's the thing. And with this story, you know, there's actually, there's other layers. So, because in the investigation phase, other dead bodies and family members came up that are now attached and the, they're facing other charges because a little bit of a backstory. I'll try and keep this as simple as possible. Chad was previously married at the time that he met Lori Vallow, who was also married to Charles Vallow at the time. And so what happened is around the time that they meet, you know, people start kind of being concerned about her obsession with Chad Daybell. Chad Daybell had written lots of doomsday books. He, uh, that's why there's a lot of references to this being the doomsday cult murders and mom and things like that. But he actually wrote a lot of books, um, about the end of the world. Um, and she apparently had become very obsessed with him. Um, and, it was a little bit disturbing to family members. Charles, her husband, actually had started flagging very bizarre behavior from her um, and a lot of concerns about the kids and even himself. Well, around this time, uh, Chad's wife, Tammy, died of natural causes after oddly being attacked in her driveway just days before. She, he had, you know, asked to not do, um, an autopsy. So, uh, she was buried. That happens. But also around this time is Lori Fallow's husband, 
Charles is shot by her brother, Alex Cox. And so the family was like, whoa, 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 whoa. There was some weird behavior that was already going before. Charles had been flagging us. And now magically, Lori's brother has killed him in, you know, a self-defense act. But also Chad's wife is now also dead and her kids are now missing. So they actually flagged to put a welfare check on the children during this time, knowing that it was getting weird. And that's when they couldn't find the kids. And this is when we find out that she has married Chad in Hawaii around the same time. This all happened within like months around. It all just kind of started toppling out. And then about, I want to say with less than a year later is when the remains of JJ and Tylee were found on Chad Daybell's property. Um, but they use a lot of the information back from um, cell phone records of Lori's brother, Alex, that had, you know, killed her husband at the time. Um, they used cell phone records to help track down uh, movement to Chad's backyard. So that's actually how this all came together. But again, this story is layered and wildly complicated and it was shocking that after it finally, you know, they're arrested and this comes to a head and people feel like maybe there's going to be some justice. She was found incompetent for trial. And I know the families, even her own family was saying no way. So now that they're going for the death penalty after all of that, right. You so know, that, yeah. And that's the complication, Lauren. So you're right. So finally they got her to Idaho, got her indicted, and then she's found incompetent to stand trial. So what does incompetent mean? It's an important distinction from insanity, which is a defense that's raised at trial. So being incompetent to stand trial means that the individual is in a place where they do not understand the charges brought against them and cannot assist in their own defense. So that's the legal definition of what qualifies as incompetent. In general, as in this case, when somebody is found incompetent, they go to a mental health facility until they're at the point where those two criterion have been met. And that's where we are now, right? Mm -hmm. So Lori Vallow went to a mental health facility, she received treatment, and now she has been deemed competent. So it's the doctors that make that determination. And when someone's deemed incompetent, the court assigns somebody to do that mental health evaluation. So that's what happened. It differs from insanity, which is a defense that's raised at trial. Basically, I didn't know, and it depends on which state you're in the exact definition, but in general, it means that the person did not understand the nature and consequences of their actions. She would have a really difficult time asserting that defense at trial because of all of the evidence that there is that the children were missing, okay? She mm-hmm. lied all over the place about <clears throat> their mm-hmm. whereabouts. Yep. She said they were, you know, one was in school, one was here, one was there, and, and she lied consistently about their whereabouts. If you're so detached from reality that you don't know what you're doing is wrong, then you can't do all of that footwork to cover your tracks. So that's in generally when, it, when an insanity defense ne- does not work. Why this is really something that ties back to what we were talking about before, uh, I would anticipate that her defense, and, and look, this would require for her to flip on Chad Daybell, mm-hmm. but I would anticipate her defense would be similar to what we've seen with Wanda Brazy, that he's the mastermind of everything. She got caught up in this world that she never even anticipated being a part of. Right. He was all powerful to her and he manipulated her into doing things that she wouldn't normally do. That's what I would expect 
her defense to be. Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, right. Only time will tell. Well, but there's an added complication in this case because now they're seeking the death penalty. If they're seeking the death penalty against Lori Vallow. Uh, that that means that there's aggravating factors and prosecutors likely have that in their pocket to present at trial. Uh-huh. Maybe her own conduct. You're not going to have the death penalty for accomplice liability. Could it also be a pressure point? They're going for the jugular and that's because they want her to flip on Chad Daybell. Mm. Remember, you just explained a web of mysteries surrounding yep. him. Yes, right? and so- I forgot to mention that, by the way, they've also exhumed um, Tammy Daybell, his first wife, and he is now charged with her murder. Um, along with a couple of other insurance related fraud things. Um, and they are also uh, investigating Charles's death. So those are also still very much out there and in play too. Right. So there's, there's probably a bigger strategy than just this case, but we don't know what prosecutors have mm-hmm. with respect to Lori specifically because we've right. always seen this case play out in the media. And from what we've seen reports, we've seen the two of them together, right? And we don't know who did what really during the course mm. of that time leading to the death of JJ and uh, right. Ty Lee and Ty Lee. But what I will say, because Lori Daybell or Lori Vallow, Lori Vallow, Daybell, whatever, Lori Daybell, Vallow yep. was, yeah. uh, was found to be incompetent. There is going to be an issue with the death penalty. So the way that it works is uh, you go to the trial and you're found guilty or not guilty, right? right? If you're found guilty, then you move on to the sentencing phase. And during the sentencing phase, a jury will determine, or maybe a judge, I would have to look at who it is in Idaho. A lot of times it's a judge makes a determination about your sentence. Now, when, when you're, when the death penalty is on the table, that goes to a jury. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you have to have unanimous. And there's a reason for that, because it's the harshest punishment that that uh, that a person can get in the United States. Right. It's the it's the absolute harshest punishment. The death. Penalty. Yeah. Right. But there is and has been a lot of controversy surrounding the death penalty for people who are diagnosed with mental illness. Mm-hmm. And that's because <sighs> even if there isn't a defense relating specifically to mental illness to absolve someone of guilt, meaning not guilty by reason of insanity, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody who commits a crime could have a mental illness and still be found guilty. But the question becomes, is that problematic from the perspective of the death penalty and giving this individual the death penalty when mental illness is a factor? So there's no ban on the execution of people with mental illness. There are legislatures in many states that 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 grapple with excluding or have grappled with legislation that would exclude uh, individuals who have mental illnesses from the death penalty. So that's not at play in Idaho, but I will say I mean there's not a statute that deals with that, okay? Right. But but it's a factor that would come out during the sentencing proceeding and that factor would be mm emphasized a bit or would have a little bit more traction because shortly before she's in that courtroom, she's deemed incompetent by the court. So that's all something to look at. That's 99 steps away. Of course. Because we haven't even gotten to the trial yet. Yes. But it's something that really triggered something in my mind, thinking to myself, how does this all piece together from a legal perspective? And these are the issues that we'd look out for. So 
we're going to see that trial play out. Is she going to flip on Chad Daybell? Is she going to say he's the mastermind or is she going to, she does, she hasn't yet to date. And we were right. talking about this case for a long time saying that when she's getting uh, interrogated, yeah, will, will thought, she flip then? We thought that might be the time, but no, so they've far, just, they're both so far pled not guilty to all charges related to everything in this case and have kind of st- stood by that at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's going to be one. It's it's a it's a big one to follow. Her case, um, I believe, her trial starts at the very end of this year, um, and I believe his starts in January of next year. Um, so these will be ones that I'm. Uh, and as we see, there are still going to be plenty of updates as we go along. So we'll be sure to kind of keep everyone posted on this uh, case as it moves forward. Absolutely, we will keep an eye on this. This is. This is one that's going to be big. And again, it's really convoluted with a lot of other issues at play, a lot of other cases at play. So we will absolutely be following that. I mean, we were following it day to day as it unfolded. So the trial is certainly something that we are going to make sure we bring to you guys so you can understand what's going on in the courtroom. Yes, absolutely. Um, and all right, Missy, I feel like it's finally the time for our what to watch, uh, for everyone going into the weekend for all of their true crime series. I think it's about that time, right? Oh, absolutely. And I got to tell you, when I watch these true crime series, I feel, <laughs> I feel kind of bad because I usually start them kind of early in the day, say I'm going to watch one on a Sunday. And then eight <laughs> hours later, I haven't done any laundry. I haven't done any errands. I haven't yes. you know, cleaned anything. I haven't done the dishes and I'm still watching. So yes, addictive, everyone just FYI. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's two, um, two ones that I want to mention that are really great right now. Uh, the first one is captive audience and it, that's on Hulu. Um, and it's a great, it's a three part uh, series about a family from central California and this is honestly one of the most crazy stories. I'll give you a little summary uh, and teaser. So Stephen Stainer was kidnapped at the age of seven years old on his way home from school. There's a massive search for him, national headlines. He ends up showing up seven years later. He has escaped. And not only that, he actually saved another boy uh, that was kidnapped by the same man during this time. I mean, incredible story. This is, uh, I believe it was back in the 80s or 90s. I, I think 80s. Um, and it actually, ended up making national news they ended up making a tv movie out of it it was kind of a big deal but here's the thing he actually tragically dies in a freak car accident and soon after there are uh there's a potential serial killer in yosemite national park four women are brutally murdered the main suspect is steven stainer's older brother carrie who Everyone says snapped because of all of the attention on Steven and everything that kind of happened with this case. It's a, this is a true story. This is a documentary. They interview family members. They show all of the footage from that time. They show all of the news stories. And it's very much, while it's still telling the facts of this crazy story, it's very much kind of inside the mind of and how could something like this happen? And so much, you know, on one family. Um, so it's a, fascinating one i found it i just that one i couldn't stop misty i just it was i plowed right through that because it's just such a i mean how much could happen to one family oh my gosh i know and this is that is really a mind-blowing story It, it really is 
So, and then, but the other one that I wanted to mention is going to be coming out on May 9th. Um, and so this is going to be Candy on Hulu as well. Um, it's going to be featuring Jessica Beale, who is playing Candy Montgomery. This is based on a true story. And what's actually kind of crazy is that there's also going to be an HBO Max series that's coming out soon. So this Candy Montgomery story is going to be, everyone's going to be hearing and seeing all about it, uh, coming up with these two dueling series. Um, uh, but the first one is on Hulu featuring Jessica Beale looks fantastic but just a teaser on this one it's a suburban housewife candy montgomery married with children her best friend's name is betty gore um she ends up getting a little bored with her suburban life and has an affair with betty's husband and when betty confronts her candy kills her with an axe 41 times she hits her with an axe on friday the 13th no less here's the thing you're going to see in this series what kind of happened, allegedly, you know, after this murder happened. Um, and when she goes to trial, she pleads self-defense and wins. So that's the story's going to kind of explain how it all happens. But Misty, this is a big one. Oh, my gosh. And what's so funny is I didn't really know a lot about this story. Usually with. True yes. Crime, yeah. Usually with these shows that are based off true crime, we've covered them previously. So I almost i have a different perspective many times um, <laughs> right of course I really enjoy watching them but i've also watched it in the courtroom so i'm always making that comparison about the entertainment side of mm-hmm. the story you know obviously it's made into a series it's it's emphasizing certain points uh, as opposed to what we were focused on during the actual trial and the litigation aspect of it but i don't really know this story that well and i'm not going to read about it until i watch this this series because i think it's going to be really fun to watch absolutely and, and very probably- very interesting that two two uh, that you've got hulu and hbo max that dove into the story at the same time they're having going to have dueling series on it i mean on a story that neither of us knew about really that much besides kind of just the headline i'm very right. interested i know me too and i expect that i'll watch both and then i'll obviously probably- be up all night on a deep dive Google <laughs> to figure out <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly what the story is anyway. But it's going to be, these are really, really fun to watch everybody yes. in. They're going to be great. And yes. we'll be talking about them a- after the fact when we, after we watch, I, especially this one, Candy, I'm really looking forward to that. Yes, absolutely. These are definitely good ones. Good stuff for true crime for your weekend. Like I said, we're also going to be doing um, for next week a special episode just on the Johnny Depp Amber Heard updates. Misty, that was a it was a huge, huge week with Amber Heard taking the stand. So a lot for us to unpack on that one. Oh, absolutely. That's a lot. Amber Heard took the stand. Her and just teaser, teaser, teaser. <laughs> we'll be breaking it down, but. She had her direct examination, but the court court is out of session for a week and the cross is to come. So you'll be going in prepared, knowing what happened during the direct so that when court it resumes, you can jump right in. Yes. Yes. Well, Misty, this is so much fun. I'm sad that we weren't together, but still a great episode. Love our Friday roundups. I hope you have a fabulous weekend. Oh, I hope you do too, Lauren. And I hope all of our listeners have a great weekend. Thank you so much for tuning into The Legal Brief. Until next week. Bye, everyone.